Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode one of Hanging with Mr. Hooper. Is that the name we decided on, Heather? I think it was Hanging with Toby Hooper. Hanging with Toby Hooper. <laughs> All right. Hello, everyone. <laughs> welcome to episode one of Hanging with Toby Hooper. My name is Patrick Bromley. I'm joined for this very special new all Toby Hooper podcast by my Hanging with Toby Hooper co-host. You know her as the co-host of Craven Craven, Heather Wixen. Hi, Heather. Hey, how's it going? I'm sorry I got the name wrong. It's okay. We're we're off to a great start. <laughs> I could have started <laughs> over, but I was like, no, I'm going to keep that in and just uh, Toby would want it that way. That's, I mean, it's, you know, that's, it seems par for the course for us and maybe for Mr. Hooper. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. So we just did like 24 episodes of a show called Craven Craven, where we went through the entire filmography of Wes Craven movie by movie. And uh, we were sad when it ended and wanted to start something new. And Heather came up with the brilliant idea of going through Toby Hooper's filmography because she is, of course, a big fan of Mr. Hooper. And he is, if you are brand new to the show, my very favorite director. Uh, so I'm excited to talk Toby Hooper for the next uh, 20 shows or so. And uh, I don't even know off the top of my head, like how many movies he has. I, I feel like a bad fan. Um, you, you are. You are a bad fan. But also, too, like we're going to have to probably dive into some of the TV stuff, too. Yeah, um, he's got the two masters I, of horror. He's got uh, amazing like stories. To, he's got tales like from the crypt. Freddy's nightmares. I mean, he basically set the tone for that series. The pilot of Freddy's nightmares. Yeah, we could maybe just do one episode of all of his major TV stuff. But then there's other stuff like episodes of Nowhere Man or The Equalizer. I don't know how deeply we'll get into those. Oh, I think we're going to go deep. Oh, we should wow. go deep. Wow. Go big or right. go home. Should we do an entire episode on the Billy Idol Dancing with Myself video? Uh I'm already planning it. I've oh, got shit. okay. I've got I, I I mean, I wish we were a visual podcast. I've got I could do a PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> like nice. whatever you need. Um yeah, no, I think we should like, you know, I think it's befitting of him yes. to go to go deep. Everything's uh, bigger in Texas and is a Texas boy. Like we should mention. While this episode will not be on the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, of course, I'm sure we'll be referencing and alluding to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But uh, we are recording on August 18th, 2023, which is the 50th anniversary of Texas Chainsaw Massacre Day, uh, the 50th anniversary of the day that Sally Hardesty and her friends uh, befell a tragic fate. It's it's a pretty amazing coincidence. Like it we is. planned this because we wanted to get ahead of his birthday, if I'm right. not mistaken. You are correct. Um, and it just so happened that we picked Texas Chainsaw Day. Yeah. So and let's just talk about this too. That on this very day as well, I got to blow your mind because Spirit Halloween today announced that they are doing a Leatherface animatronic. Yeah, they are put in their yards. And I was just like, oh, my God. So I don't know if we have to, like, do a GoFundMe for you guys. Well, you need that. You have to have that. Yeah, we definitely will have to do a GoFundMe uh, because I don't think we have the money to spare on the $350 animatronic right now. But it is pretty awesome. It is. It's actually like for the amount of like detail that like goes like you see in it and how it moves and stuff i'm like 350 actually isn't that bad no it's not surprisingly yeah but it's you know i know i i'm like i want it just to put on my porch so i can freak out my neighbors that would be amazing <laughs> but i would also have to go fund it, me for it at this point too so um but let's yeah let's go fund amazing. two of these bad boys let's or like let's get spirit to like sponsor, sponsor the show. yes let's do it you know like well it. we will we will tout these animatronics everywhere. I will bring it to me to events, whatever. <laughs> I'll take it to concerts. I don't care. We will make the Leatherface animatronic the official mascot of Hanging with Toby Hooper. Yeah. Um, it just, it made me, when I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh. Like, that was literally like less than an hour than before we started recording. And yeah, then it was... It was, they have a really funny t-shirt on their website too, where it says put on a happy face. And it's Leatherface with wearing a, somebody else's face and it's happy. 
and it made me smile good yeah (laughs) yeah and also i would just this feels like sort of self-promotion so i apologize but if you did recently pick up uh second sight which they're a uk brand but they um ship to the u.s and things like that they're yep. the documentary that's on there um i got to talk about texas chainsaw in there um which was pretty cool so it's you know, very sort cool of thing, i'm i'm still sort of surprised that i got to do it to be really honest but uh yeah i'm bummed it's, that it's, it's only red. on the on the second site release yeah, they sent it to me because, like, I just, I don't have, like, $70 for every awesome release that they do. I just don't. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it was, because originally it was supposed to play Fantastic Fest, and then they found out that they couldn't because of distribution rights in the U.S. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that was actually going to be, like, part of Fantastic Fest last year, and then they had to pull it, which I was really bummed about. Like, I was, like, excited, but scared, but happy, but nervous. Because I was like, <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ, like, my face is going to be, like, on this big giant screen, and that's weird. Um, but it's really, it's a really good thing, because it, it talks to a lot of, like, contemporary filmmakers and older fans and things like that. It's it's good. It's really good. Nice. Um, oh. Your gal Jill is in there, too, of course, because she's a huge Texas Chainsaw fan. I know she is. Yeah, I found that out uh, leading up to our, when we did our live Toby Hooper, Toby Hooper uh, tribute. I thought she was a huge Toby Hooper fan and I booked her on there and then we got on and I asked her some questions about Texas Chainsaw. And then I kind of segued into some other Toby stuff and she was like, yeah, I don't know. I just really like Texas Chainsaw. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. Back to the subject at hand. It's all good. You know? <laughs> um, yeah. She was great. Yeah. Cause I, and that was another reason I wanted to do this series too, because of, when you did that to the Toby Hooper thing, because I think that was a really special moment. Um, and I think you were one of the first people that really put in a lot of work to celebrate Toby in that kind of capacity. Yeah. And I just thought it was cool. So I was like, how do we not talk about Toby Hooper after we're finished with Wes? I like it. So that's why we're here, folks. Yeah. Uh, we're going to be talking about uh, a couple of his early works on this very first episode. We're going to be talking about a short film that he made called The Heisters. Uh, and then we're going to be talking about, I guess these would be in release order, because then we're going to be talking about his first feature from 1969, a movie called Eggshells. And while it was filmed before Eggshells, it didn't come out till 1971. We'll talk a little bit about a documentary that he made uh, for TV called Peter, Paul and Mary. The song is love. Yes. Um, All all of these are on YouTube. If you guys are interested in checking them out, I know um, I was very fortunate because like Eggshells didn't exist for so many years. It wasn't until the 2000s, like 2009 ish, I want to say that they uncovered a print. It was thought to be lost forever. Um, and when Arrow put out Texas Chainsaw Massacre Part 2 on Blu-ray, they included Eggshells and the Heisters as bonus features. This was only on the UK release. Speaking of UK releases, uh, you got to have a region-free player if you're a Toby Hooper fan, everybody, so you can get the second sight disc with Heather. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2 that has eggshells and the heisters. Um, So that's how I was originally able to see them. But both are currently available on YouTube as well. Yeah, I I was really grateful that like. You think in certain cases, some of the stuff would get yanked. Yeah. Um, But apparently nobody's really worried about early. (laughs) So that would make me happy. Um, Yeah, I mean, actually, I believe even the Peter, Paul and Mary doc is lost now. Yes. As well. Yeah. Like that's just a non-existent thing. There's nobody knows where a single print of that actually exists anymore, which is a, this is why film preservation is important. Yeah, for sure. Like it's not, it's not curing cancer, but it's preserving things that are a, a reflection of our culture yeah. of that time. Um, so yeah, I, I, I had heard of eggshells. Actually, it's funny. I'd heard of eggshells because one of the years when I was at Flashback Weekend as a fan, Bill Mosley talked about eggshells and I think the heisters. Oh, cool. Um, during one of his panels. Um, 
And I had never heard of either. Like I kind of at that point in my life just assumed everything with Toby just kind of began with Texas Chainsaw. Um, and I didn't realize that Arrow had put it out um, on their special release. Yeah. But that makes sense. That, that's a, a good way to make sure that, you know, people have access to it. Um, but yeah, like I, it's funny because I think I think you and I have different sort of sensibility sometimes when it comes (laughs) to approaches where I think I'm I think I was a little more open to these maybe than perhaps you were or like not open but like I dig the vibe if that makes sense sure I'm I vibed with the Toby the early Toby stuff in these I definitely, I definitely, so I dig the heisters, um, which if you don't know, is like a two, three, five shot on 35 millimeter comedy. It's like a 10 minute comedy. Um, that's essentially a kind of a silent film. Um, yeah. With some fun sound effects. Yeah. (laughs) And it, it's just, it's completely silly. It's a comedy. It's not what you would necessarily expect. If if the guy that made Texas Chainsaw is the only guy that's in your head, I don't know. Eggshells, maybe. But uh, the other two are not at all, I don't think, what you would immediately conjure up in terms of like, well, here's where he started. Because uh, he starts with this goofy comedy. And it's not that I dislike eggshells. I just, I know that it's, I have to admit, I have kind of a low tolerance for psychedelia. And for like hippie shit, um, <laughs> because he, and some of my favorite yeah. filmmakers started that way because Toby starts that way. Brian De Palma starts with all these like hippie counterculture comedies, and I I have a low tolerance for those as well. I'm I'm fascinated like eggshells I can get through because I think it looks great. It you know there's lots of like cool imagery, um. And I'm interested in sort of dissecting it as being his first feature, but as like a movie experience, it's less my jam. No, I get it. And the thing is like, I think I'm a hippie that was born in a wrong time. Okay. Um, Because I actually find hippie culture extremely fascinating. And I think one of the things that really um, sold me on it was like one night when I was dealing with insomnia or whatever, I finally got to see a big chunk I haven't seen the whole thing and I know there's like a really great Blu-ray for it. And I just, it's usually pretty expensive and I just can't spend that kind of money on myself. But the, the Woodstock doc. Oh yeah. From Scorsese. Right. Well, he edited it. Oh, he didn't direct it. Yeah. 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 But he's involved. And yeah. um, like there's, I find it really fascinating because like I'm somebody who's very, I'm very structured, but there is this part of me that's always yearning to not be so structured. Okay. Um, and I find watching that kind of stuff sort of freeing. Um, and I think that there is something really interesting about like how that was like this movement in our country at that time when things, there was so much turmoil Mm -hmm. and that, you know, there was this focus on love and existing and acceptance. Um, where these days it feels like those kind of things are sort of a rarity sure. in a lot of ways. Sure. Um, and so for me, like, I mean, am I going to immediately go and sit and watch eggshells again? Like soon? No, probably not. Cause mm-hmm. it is very meandering. I yeah. mean, it's like, I had to rewind it a few times. Cause I was like, wait, what, who is this now? Like it's, it's very much a, in the moment kind of a thing. Yeah. Um, and then he like throws these like fun little weird like genre elements in there, um, in the basement and stuff. Right. And like I'm just like, wait, what, what? I was like, what? What were you on, Toby, when you were making <laughs> this? And also, how can I get some? Um, but I think it's fascinating that it's just like, it's it it really is like this just sort of viewing experience of like you're just sitting around watching people talk about mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. and. I get that that's not for everybody. Like, totally. I totally get that. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a very interesting watch because I was like, I was preparing for the worst and I would never call it the best. 
But it is fascinating because I think I, I think there is something really interesting about who Toby was at this time. And it's not like I knew him back then or anything like that. But like you can see the reflection in a lot of his early stuff where he was a guy. I think he was searching for something to say about where people where society was at that time. And maybe just maybe it was like this capsule of where Austin was, because Austin is a very singular existence in comparison to the rest of texas yeah um there is it's 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 a complete 180 from the rest of the state mm-hmm. um i think that's why i love austin like when they like you know keep austin weird like that's a thing it's it's real right. it's not right. a slogan right um and i think for me like seeing like eggshells um you know is something that is just very reflective of like the like the 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 it was like a weird time because like yeah vietnam was winding down but yet like there's still people over there and like you're living your life but like why are you conforming to certain rules of society see this is where the hippie shit comes in um (laughs) (laughs) and it's it to me i just find that really interesting because i think especially for like us Gen Xers, like we grew up with a very sort of, there's like this list of expectations for us, right? Like you go to school, you're supposed to get good grades. You're supposed to do well. Once you finish school, you go to college. You have to do well there because that's what's going to get you a good job. When you're done with that, then you get married, you buy a house, you have a family, you you do all of these things because that's what the expectation of you is. Mm-hmm. And these people are doing these things. Like you, there's like a couple with a kid. We see a, we see a wedding, but it's in such a different construct. And I just think that's really intriguing. Like in, in a weird way. I'm, I'm, I'm a weirdo. I know. <laughs> well, we have such a weird relationship to this period i think because our generation was kind of sold the 60s as nostalgia whether it's through certain bands doing reunion tours or the wonder years or Woodstock 94 or whatever year they did. Like or even that. just our, our parental direct influence too. Oh yeah, for sure. Right. My parents, you know, only had CKG on, which was like the classic rock station. So I grew up listening to all the nice. music from the 1960s. It was not nice. Um, I don't need to ever hear vanilla fudge again in my life. Oh, you'd be missing out though. I suppose I would. <laughs> um, so we and, know what to play at your funeral is what you're saying. <laughs> so when I'm confronted with something, you know, and Oliver Stone was sort of in his heyday when we were kids making Platoon and Born on the Fourth of July and Heaven on Earth and The Doors and all of his kind of 60s movies. Uh, so there was this real, you know, Rambo was going back to fight in Vietnam. There was this real like kind of craze about the 60s when we were kids to be confronted by something as authentically 60s as eggshells is still kind of a shock, even though I was, you know, I was pre-sold this sort of packaged version of what the 60s were. Um, they didn't really resemble eggshells, you know, and eggshells is, 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 is interesting as a, as you pointed out, just even as a historical document of Austin in 1969, um, of hippie culture, again, you could easily see these characters jumping into a van and winding up in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Well, technically, doesn't one of them do that? Yeah. Well, no. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, yeah, you're right. Yeah, because Alan Danzinger is in it, right? Yeah, you're right. You're right. Yeah. I was thinking of Kim Henkel, but I was like, he wrote the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Yeah. <laughs> After did I did I, did I tell you that I got to be yeah did I tell you I got to be friendly with Kim Henkel no that's for awesome. years yeah oh. back when I worked at Imagination um he had written I think it was Butcher Boys I think it was like some cannibalistic movie but yeah that sounds I right. yeah but I worked really closely with him like on us like doing the trailer and the artwork and stuff for it amazing um, yeah he was a really nice guy 
Um, I didn't even get to tell you my other fun story. It's not even my story. I should have, I should almost hand my headphones over to Brian. <laughs> but one of one of the first events that Brian ever covered back when he was doing videos <coughs> with Spooky Dan for Bloody Disgusting was Halloween Horror Nights. And I think this was like 2007, I want to say, maybe eight. And they did Texas Chainsaw that year. And basically he and Dan got to go through the Texas Chainsaw maze with Toby and recorded it. Oh, wow. It. Holy shit. Yeah, so that's like I, I'm I'm eternally jealous of that shit. Like does that's that, cool. Does that video still exist? It would be somewhere on Bloody Disgusting site. I'm sure Brian okay. has it somewhere on some hard drive. Like we're talking like at least 15 years ago now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they got to go because like they shut the maze down for Toby, and then John Murdy was like, "Who? Anybody want to go through with Toby?" And of course, because they were bloody disgusting. They got to go with them. Wow. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah, that's unbelievable. Was there um anywhere in the maze? Was there like uh an, a leather face animatronic that cost like no. three hundred and fifty dollars? No, there wasn't. That's bullshit. So that's that they were missing out back then. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was actually it was it was sort of jarring for me to see Kim in eggshells as like an actor. Right. Well, I'm sure it was just like necessity. Like I'm just doing this project, just be be this, you know. Um, and at first, I didn't even realize it was him until like I was going back to rewind to watch another a certain part of it, and I was like, "Oh wait, <laughs> that's Kim." I was like, "Holy yeah. shit!" Yeah. So there's super a couple of there's a couple of names that pop up, uh, like Lou Perryman worked on the film too. He also worked on Peter Paul and Mary as like a grip. He did. And then he goes on, of course, to play LG in Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Uh, he's, the a, I think, the AD on Eggshells. That's super cool. Yeah. So I love that Toby has kind of like a little stock company, you know? Well, he kind of did, didn't he, technically? Because that's how the Peter, Paul, and Mary thing came about. Yeah. Um, You know, not to jump ahead, but I'm pretty no, sure. Like, we're all over. Yeah, we're all over. You know, we're kind of <laughs> jumping through all, all of these things, but it was like he was. What was the, I'm looking for the name of the company um, because I actually looked it up earlier because I was really fascinated by like how that came to be. Um, because he was part owner of what was called Motion Picture Productions of Texas. Okay, and so that company was run by Toby Hooper, Ron and Lou Perryman, and Gary Pickle, best name ever. Um, <laughs> And then producer for the Peter Paul Mary thing was there was also um, Fred Miller was involved and he's okay. the guy who actually posted the Peter Paul Mary doc on YouTube that you can find. Yes, right. That was the one that I watched. Yeah. So they basically were like the business in they were the film business in Austin at the time, yeah. which is kind of fascinating because you sort of think of Toby as like this wild card, but he really was a business guy. You know, at the heart early on, it, yeah. Like, I mean, early on, you know, yeah, early once we get to on. Texas and Chainsaw was... will learn that he was not a great businessman <laughs> because yeah, everybody yeah, got fucked yeah. out of their money. Uh, when I went a couple of years ago, Erica and I went to Austin, and one of the first things we did was go to the library there because they have a a box of Toby Hooper's old papers that you can look at, and a lot of them are from this period, and they're just you know contracts and shooting schedules and it's not like the coolest thing was like a letter i think from Marilyn burns to him after texas chainsaw had wrapped i want to say uh and that was really touching and cool to read but um a lot of the documents are stuff from from kind of this period oh see that's so fascinating i never like all the times i've been to austin i never realized i could do that yeah you have to wear like special gloves and all this shit. It's like I would. I, I did. In a trust me. Suit. I don't. Yeah. Care. Right. Right. <laughs> uh, I was like, I'll do it. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, no, you, you go for it. So I feel like I, you were segueing. <laughs> no, I wasn't really. Um, I just watching the Peter Paul and Mary doc. Uh, it was interesting because there's that whole sequence. And again, there's not like necessarily a ton of 
I don't think there's a ton of Toby Hooper in it. There's a lot of like the sixties, his interest in capturing the sixties, his eye, uh, his, his sort of cinematic eye, because there are some really neat moments. I'm thinking of like that 360 shot at the end of the documentary is yeah. so cool. Um, but the protest sequence that I, it, I think it's like Paul is performing at, is it Paul? Or yeah. Peter? It's Paul. Okay. I think it's Paul. Um, it's so funny because growing up, I only knew Peter, Paul and Mary as like the singers of Puff the Magic Dragon. So I didn't realize they were to be taken seriously, that they were like legitimate folk artists. I thought they oh, were like you know, a little kid's I, novelty act, you know? Yeah. Oh, wait, I'm thinking, I'm wondering if I screwed that up, if it was Peter. It might've been, I don't know. I know um, it wasn't Mary. I know, I know Peter was at the end. Okay. Oh man. I oh. could have it backwards. I thought Peter was in the boat and Paul was at the protest, but I No, I think you're right. I think you're okay. right. Okay. I don't. Anyway. This is this, this is why we're the professionals doing this. <laughs> the 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 protest sequences like you can kind of put them side by side and it's really interesting the the way that he showcases sort of peaceful protests at the in the late 60s and i think i've been so conditioned by the last five to ten years to expect violence to erupt that i was like so freaked out watching both the sequence in eggshells and the sequence in uh the song is love because there's all these cops suited up just waiting for shit to go bad (laughs) and it never does thank goodness um I think, you know, the thing about Toby Hooper is he was such a, he was a wild man in terms of his movies and he made crazy movies and violent movies and scary movies, but I think he was a really gentle, peaceful human being. I never had the opportunity to meet him, unfortunately. So I'm, I'm theorizing based on interviews that I've watched and stuff that I've read and people that have known him, um, And so I do think that a lot of there's a lot of his personality in these early films, whether it's the silliness of the heisters, which I watch and I'm like, oh, I could draw a direct line from that to like Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2. Yeah, definitely. Not so much the first one, although, again, he has sworn for years that he meant a lot of the first one to be funny, (laughs) which cracks me up because so many people characterize it as the scariest movie ever made. Um, but he was intending a lot of it to be funny. And when people didn't get quote unquote, the joke, he doubled down on the comedy and that's how he ended up with Texas Chainsaw two. So you could draw a direct line from the heisters to Texas Chainsaw two. You could draw, you know, direct comparisons to some of the hippie shit in, in the original Texas Chainsaw two eggshells and to the song is love. But I like that there's this side of him captured on film somewhere yeah i think for me like i i actually think that both eggshells and the song is love like i think i i see the the comparisons to the original texas chainsaw like a little more now because i think i think for a while like remember i remember like the first time watching texas chainsaw and yeah it's like super intense and everything like that um and then as you get older and you kind of realize that it's, it's this story of, of, you know, it's his fuck you about Vietnam. And yeah. for a while, it took me a long time to sort of get that. Yeah. Um, and as you get older and you start to develop your media literacy a little better, and you're like, oh, you can do the, the, the lines a little bit better. But I'll tell you, like, if I had seen these two things, like, around the same time as the Texas... Like, it's it's so apparent. It's it's completely evident to me. Because I think you, you touched on, like, you're, you're waiting for these moments of violence to erupt in Eggshells or This Song is Love, and it doesn't happen. And I think that, to me, is the brilliance of something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where people want to call it the most violent movie ever and everything like that, but it's, like, comparatively it really isn't like there's very minimal blood there's actually almost very no minimal... there's no blood there's like there's like a couple like a little bit here and there like you know right. what i mean like right. it's, it's something that like 
somebody could just go and squirt a little blood on somebody and then that's that you know what i mean um the if violence, it wasn't so intense it could be a pg yeah and i think the, the violence is implied a lot of the times like we sure yes. we see him putting her on a hook but we don't watch the hook go into the back we don't you right. know he hits somebody on the head but it, and we see the with the aftermath of it and i think watching especially like and it sounds weird but even watching the song is love it it's almost like saying like toby is saying that the the threat of the violence is almost more terrifying than the act of violence itself sure because it's constant and for like those people who are doing like we're participating in those marches like it's a terrifying thing to have to deal with right where you're trying to just make the world a better place and yet at any moment, and we've seen this, you know, over the last two years as well, that could just be completely erased by one act of violence. Yeah. And, you know, we see like little kids at the protests and things like that. And like, it just, it's, it struck me as like, he really was a guy who, regardless of what genre he was in, he was really trying to say something about where culture was headed at the time, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's through the psychedelic psychedelia of eggshells or this really poignant look at these three. I mean, and it's funny because it's Peter, Paul and Mary, you think like, Oh, well the, the blandest, tr you know, musical trio ever, but yet they were kind of like secretly rabble rousers. Yes. You know, and sort of capturing that through them but that documentary isn't even that much about them as much as it is about the sort of this ph philosophy right. that was happening at the time and sort of figuring out like, you know, at the end when um, Peter was talking to the activist and I actually found a quote of it. He's like, you know, how can I dare uh, to talk about you finding happiness when they are dying? And he's like, and they, who's they Our boys, there are no, our boys in Vietnam. We're all people, human beings. And when we can stop thinking about our boys and start thinking about people being killed uselessly, you know, that basically stops the lie that we're telling ourselves. Yeah. So he was, and that to me is like a holy shit thing. And to, to hear that from the, from a folk singer kind of guy mm -hmm. um, who didn't have to say anything like, you know, they didn't have to be involved in activism back then. They could have just floated their way through music and been fine, been successful, but they, they chose a certain path. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, early Toby is him making a very distinct decision to tell stories in a way that feels unlike what the way people were, you know, otherwise approaching storytelling. Um, this is all sounding so much better in my head. <laughs> no, um. <laughs> we're, we're, we're working it out as we talk through this, everybody. Yeah. Uh, we don't but I really anything. like, yeah, but I really wasn't expecting, like I was, you know, I love pop culture documentaries. Like that is like my shit. Um, I will watch them on anything and everything. And I wasn't really expecting to watch, you know, this song is love and come away with like these like deep feelings about it. Um, but it, it makes me sad that this is like this thing that's lost and it's, right. you know, is it the most captivating, profound documentary of, you know, six, late 60s culture that exists? No, because, you know, like I said, there's a Woodstock thing is out there, <laughs> but I think that there's something genuinely important about the structure of that doc and how he uses these beloved figures in music to tell this other story mm -hmm. and i think in a lot of ways with texas chainsaw like there's always been the stories where somebody was like they showed him night of the living dead and he's like oh i can do that i can make a low budget horror movie but he used that as a way to say something more you know and to me that's a great horror so when people say dumb shit like you know, horror isn't political. <laughs> I'm just like, horror has been political for a very long, like probably yeah. since the thirties. No, if you, you know, say that you've never watched a horror movie or, you know, yeah. Like, or you, or you have the privilege to not realize the implications of what right, these right. stories actually mean. Um. So yeah, I just, I, it was really fascinating and I'm glad 
like that's what I love about this is like just having the opportunity to fill in some of those gaps because I've always found Toby to be super fascinating. Yeah. Um, and you know, there's, I mean, two of his movies are probably two of my top 10 movies of all time. And that doesn't even include, that's not Texas Chainsaw. Um, although the more I watch Texas Chainsaw, the more I fall in love with it. Like I've always appreciated, but like the, I more I fall in love with it, the more time yeah. I spend with it. Um, it's, but it it's wasn't unbelievable. What I'm trying to think yeah. of what the other one. Oh, I know what the other one is. Never mind. Okay, I was going to ask yeah. what the two were, but I figured it out. Yeah. Um. So I just this is to me was just like it was like getting to open this little door into the life of Toby Hooper. Yeah. And you know, it's it, it was just it's such a really fascinating examination of like where society was but also like where he was and you can see like you can see his influence like you could see where he was you know in terms of his own personal views reflected in in all of this um because i think there is like this like because i'm remembering when he did the talk with friedkin before Mm -hmm. um the events in la when they did the the was it the 40th anniversary of Texas Chainsaw? I believe so. 40th? God, is that 10 years ago already? <laughs> Almost. Or like 11. I don't even remember. Um, but he like, there were certain things he would like, the way he would giggle. And it was just like, I don't know. Like, cause I think like there's certain directors, like you hold in like a certain reverence, but he giggled like he was like a kid, like, you know. <laughs> Like to me, like the heisters feels like like weird Looney Tunes kind of shit. Oh yeah. So like, it just felt like a kid who was watching like Woody Woodpecker or Looney Tunes or something. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. And just finding the 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 humor in like just everything. Like I don't know. I don't. I don't know if I'm even saying that right. But I just think this for me, I was really glad because it was like a really fascinating, like different way of like contextualizing the things that I know and love about him already. Sure. Yeah. Um, but kind of seeing it now through like a totally different lens. Well, he's obviously in a very political period at this point in his life and in his career and in his work. I would argue that politics don't play a huge role in a lot of his filmography. I think you can watch a lot of his movies kind of divorced from politics which is not true of all of them i mean i think somebody could say like oh the mangler isn't a political movie and i would disagree uh or even texas chainsaw 2 well it's just silly it's a comedy like no 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 that it's also super political texas chainsaw is the one that always gets the credit for being political i think because of the period in which it was made because it's part of that 70s movement of films that were deeply political because it is coming out of the 60s because it's commenting on uh hippie shit in Vietnam um but i like that these movies also demonstrate to somebody who maybe doesn't know better you know the there's there's like three we're getting ahead of ourselves, obviously, because Texas Chainsaw will cover next month. But we're talking a lot about it on this because it, it's the one that I think relates so closely to the three films that we're covering. Um, yeah. The three sort of myths, you already talked about one of them, that it's like the most violent movie ever made. Well, no, it isn't. It's actually pretty tame. It's just very intense. The second myth is that it's like a documentary. Um, that he shoots it cinema verite like a documentary. And if you actually watch Texas Chainsaw, it's actually very carefully composed. And the shots by Daniel Pearl are very beautiful. Uh, It's very deliberate. It's not a grab and go kind of a thing. So when you talk about, you know, well, he he had done some documentaries and he does this Peter, Paul and Mary thing. And that leads directly into Texas Chainsaw. And he takes his skills as a documentarian into Texas Chainsaw. That's not entirely accurate. And the third myth is that Texas Chainsaw happened by accident. And this is a myth that will persist kind of throughout Toby Hooper's career, whether it's Poltergeist, whether it's Life Force, that the stuff that works, he has nothing to do with, that it just sort of happened by crazy mistake. Yep. And it removes all agency from him as an artist and as a filmmaker. 
and suggests that he was just a, a suit behind a camera. Um, and that's completely untrue. And so by watching, I think these three 1960s films, well, all right. Song is love is 71, but it was made in the sixties. Um, yeah. I think you can definitely get a sense of who he is uh, as an artist, as a storyteller, as a, as a visual artist, you know, even formal shit, like his use of color. I mean, the color in the heisters is like unreal. There's a lot yeah. of sequences in eggshells where the color is really important. Um, and that leads us directly into Texas chainsaw and uh, especially eaten alive, you know, uh, and some of his later work. He loves to use color in a specific way. And that's obvious in some of these early films. Um, but just that he's a guy who like is making specific choices and doing things with intentionality. And I would hope that if anybody listened to this, who thinks that Texas Chainsaw like accidentally happened and I get it, like you read Gunnar Hansen's book and it feels like nobody knew what they were doing and they were flying by the seat of their pants and they were spending all day coming up with a shot list in a van and then they would go out and shoot some stuff and they were behind schedule. And, you know, there are stories that make it sound like him and Kim Henkel were like not always uh, working at to the best of their abilities because they were just trying to figure shit out. So I understand how the myth happens, but I, I do think and we'll obviously cover this uh, in several months. But the the poltergeist controversy, I think, is what really perpetuates the idea that Toby Hooper couldn't have made a great movie and therefore the Texas Chainsaw Massacre must have happened by accident. And, and I think, you know, yeah, go ahead. I wanted to say, I wanted to say really quick too, when you're talking about that kind of stuff, what pisses me off. And again, this is just because of the stuff that we've been doing lately with like insert to dark, the insert to darkness book, because I've done so much different research and I've actually done a few of the David Cronenberg films that was kind of his approach too. Nobody ever questions David Cronenberg's abilities right. or calls shit on him. He literally was rewriting scenes three hours before people had to be on set. Yeah, I don't see anybody talking shit about David Cronenberg's abilities as a filmmaker. No, that's that means he's a mad genius. So, like, what? Why was it Toby? I think for me, that's what always pissed me off. Like, why was why why Toby? When you hear that kind of stuff and that's, you know, and we're going to get into it. Yeah. Um, but like, you know, when other directors do that kind of stuff, oh, you know, that's the artistic, you know, the artistic uh, journey and blah, blah, blah. When he does, does it. Well, that's just because, you know, he's not prepared. He doesn't know what he's doing. Blah, blah, blah. He literally had a film company in Austin that people would hire right. to have him do these sorts of things. Right. So he had to have some sort of capability to have that reputation to be able to run a business yeah. and to be, you know what I mean? Like, so yeah, there's definitely happens. But like, you're telling me the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the first movie where budgets were blown out and people were doing drugs and things mm. were crazy. No, come on. Right. Like that's, that was just a certain era of era. filmmaking era. Um, <laughs> you know, so I don't, I don't buy that shit. I don't buy that the Texas Chainsaw Massacre is an accident. And I'll fight anybody who says it. And when we get to Poltergeist, I will throw hands with anybody who wants to pull the stupid Spielberg shit with me. Oh, I just it's dumb. I'm I, over it. I just ran into it at Flashback. I was wearing my shirt that you sent me with all the VHS covers. Nice. And one of my co-hosts said, oh, well, you should take Poltergeist out of there. That's Spielberg's. Oh, I think I know who that is. And let me just say, I don't miss hosting with that person. <laughs> oh, boom. Because I would have punched him. I would have yeah. punched him. I That's just funny. I actually, kept my I mouth actually wore my Toby. I actually wore, wore my Toby Hoover shirt the other day. So nice. nice. Yeah. Um, that is that's infuriating. Like you're you're a professional, like, shut up. Like nobody asked you. <laughs> I'm just now I'm gonna get angry. Well, um, it's yeah. fine. I just we'll get into this when we get into poltergeist, but I just want I don't know what proof these people think they have that the rest of us don't have. And Do also you know what I mean? too, like you're and the thing is to the nature of filmmaking half the time, 
is happy accidents. Do you know right. what I mean? Of course. Like you can you can plan and plan and plan and plan a movie, you know, down to the milliseconds. That doesn't necessarily mean like that's what's going to happen or that's what's going to end up in the film. Right. Shit happens. Life happens. You know, creativity happens. You know, and so for people to like think that something like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, wasn't a result of Toby's creative like influence, like that just blows my mind. Especially when you look now at these these projects and you're like, what? How would yeah. you even say that? Like, yeah, I mean, it's like, I get it. He was probably doing things maybe he shouldn't have been doing as a director. But also back then, it wasn't like he wasn't working for a studio. You know, he was out making movies with like a bunch of just regular kind of Joes at that point. Yeah. Like he wasn't working with high caliber stars. No offense to anybody, but you know what I no, mean? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that's basically like renegade filmmaking 101 is what Texas Chainsaw is. And you can see it reflected in something like Eggshells. Like yes. Eggshells just literally feels like Toby got himself a camera, a bunch of film, and was like, hey guys, I want to hang out, get this house, and like let's make a movie. Yeah. What is it gonna be about? I don't know, a bunch of hippies hanging out in a house. <laughs> which by the way, I don't know, like the front of that house really to me reminded me of the front of the house from Texas Chainsaw. Oh, I agree too. completely. Yeah. So like I don't know. I'm now I'm gonna now I'm gonna throw hands virtually. <laughs> well, it's it's it, you know it was lost for so many years. So I I'm not actually leveling this accusation, but I watched Eggshells and I was like, oh, Richard Linklater might owe some royalties to Toby Hooper. Ah, uh, yeah. Another Austin filmmaker, and again, maybe that's just part of the Austin scene. Maybe. I don't know. I I know he didn't actually rip off eggshells, but watching eggshells, I was like, this feels a lot like an early Richard Linklater movie. Yeah, I was actually, it was funny because when I, <laughs> when I was, sorry about that. That's okay. When I was watching eggshells last night, it totally, I, it's, it's more structured, but it kind of gave me some slacker vibes. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Where for I was sure. like, huh. Okay. And I mean, Slacker feels more polished, obviously, but like, there's still a part of me where I'm just like, oh, yeah, this this guy grew up watching Toby Hooper. Yeah. You know, I think that was a real thing. Well, and this thing that I'm going to end up repeating on probably every episode of uh, All right, Toby I like Hooper. It. We, we um, can put it on a shirt. Because... Uh, most of his movies, you know, Stephen King used to boil down archetypes for horror films. And I don't remember what all of them were. It's from his book, Dance Macabre. But I, I, the one I know is because it applies to essentially every Toby Hooper movie. And that is that there are certain horror movies that embrace the trope of the bad place. And that yeah. is a house that's haunted, a room that you can't go in, uh, whatever. Um, and almost every Toby Hooper movie is about the bad place. And while it's not explicitly evil, you know, we haven't talked really about like the supernatural force that's happening in eggshells. The notion that he's already working under the idea of like, okay, but there's something going on in the basement. Yeah. Um, is so you have to go into basements back then. <laughs> it's so Toby Hooper because Every one of his movies has, okay, but if you go to that place, something bad will happen to you. Um, yeah. And that's not, you know, he's not saying like you're going to die if you go in the basement in eggshells, but just the fact that he's already isolating a place as a source of some sort of otherworldly supernatural activity uh, to me makes it jump out as kind of a Toby Hooper movie as well. Yeah, no, definitely. First of all, I thought the basement was like really cool too, um, and weird, which I love. <laughs> but yeah, but if you think about it, like if you look at that versus like Texas Chainsaw, Salem's Lot, Poltergeist, just like those alone, yeah, like I don't know how you doubt. You know what I mean? Like there is a through line, at least through the early eighties, yeah, of where you're like, yeah, you know, he got like he got it like. Houses are supposed to represent security, safety, and all these things, and yet they can still harbor this horribleness 
you know, if you're not looking for it, you know what I mean? Like yeah. it can just come at you out of nowhere. And that guy just like walks down in the basement, little hippie, and there it goes. Like all of a sudden it's like weird pulsating things. And he's got right. a thing on his head where he looks like he's getting a blowout. Like, <laughs> and then that's how the movie ends is with like, everybody's under the blowout hair dryer thing. And like, yep. you know, I'm like, how do you like to, to insinuate that there was no Toby Hooper in certain projects later in his, like later in his filmography is like ridiculous to me. Cause it's right there. It's, it's in eggshells. Do you think it has anything to do with him? Like not really outside of Texas chainsaw and poltergeist. He doesn't really have any hits. I mean, I think from what I remember, and this is something that like, I think I've, I've had this discussion possibly with Jared Rivet, but I also remember just talking to my mom about it once, but the Salem's Lot miniseries was actually a pretty oh, yeah, big that's deal true. back yeah, in no, the that's, day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because that was like one of the first real big like horror miniseries to right. come along. And it was like an event. Yeah, that was and, successful. And I think like, I actually think from, I, I think I read an interview once where he talked about it, where I think he thought that that was going to be the the legitimate factor in his career that would, all right, cool. You did that, you know? And then he, I think, cause that was basically how he ended up with Funhouse. Right. That's how he ended up with Poltergeist too, ultimately. Yeah. Because Spielberg was a Salem's Law fan. I just, there's that, it's a cliched expression. So I apologize for using it, but the expression, uh, success has many fathers, failure is an orphan. I feel like when Toby Hooper has a success, we're always trying to attribute it to its other fathers. Yeah. And therefore the failures are solely Toby Hooper's fault. So how could he have done the successes? How could the same person be responsible for making a movie I didn't like and a movie that everyone liked? And that to me is such bullshit. Like, it's a ridiculous question. Yeah. Like every director, I don't care how beloved they are. They've made a movie that hasn't been 100% successful. I'm sorry. Like, I have beloved directors. Like we've talked about, like we literally just went through Wes Craven's filmography. Yeah. Like I love Wes. One day when I have a house, I will have my Wes Craven office. Am I too proud to admit that he had failures in his career? No, of course right. he did. Everybody right. has, right. you know? Um, but I think what people tend to forget is a lot of times in those failures, it's not the filmmaker, you know, sure. like the original, the original version of Mimic, I would not call that one of Guillermo del Toro's proudest moments, but was that movie a failure because of him? Right. No, because if right. you go watch the director's cut of that movie, it's much better. It's yeah. because he got to, had to deal with asshole producers <laughs> who had better ideas of how that movie should be made and told, you know, and released, Yeah, you know, and they should have trusted the director. And I don't think that in a lot of cases with, especially like with Toby's like later output, like that the failures were solely on him. Because I, the thing that people forget is like filmmaking is a collaborative thing and there's so many different things that can happen to screw things up that you just don't have control over. And I, it's interesting to me that I think that there's a lot of ways, like when Toby has control, he's, he is on, you know? And I think when he had to deal with people and I think just again, from hearing him talk, I don't think he was the, the strongest voice in the room ever. Right, right. I don't think he was built like that. Yeah. And so I think there's a lot of times where he made concessions that I don't think he would have made otherwise. Yes. And I think it's reflected in the final product in some cases. Um, but yeah, like that to me just blows my mind that like people think that so much about like all like so many different filmmakers. But I'm like, no, it's like everybody screws up at some point. You know, none of us are perfect. My life is not filled with nothing but success. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you don't, that's, that's just not living. That's not being a human being. You yeah. know what I mean? That's, there's yeah. no authenticity to that kind of existence. And I think more so, especially for creatives. Well, and times change and tastes change. And so a movie that was considered a failure in the 1980s is no longer considered a failure you know look at a lot yeah. you know prince of darkness people were not beating down the door 
to champion Prince of Darkness in 1987. And now we look at it and we're like, well, that's kind of a masterpiece. Like John Carpenter, really ahead of his time, right? I think we're going to discover in the process of doing this, something that I've been arguing for, for a number of years, that like John Carpenter or like Wes Craven or like George Romero or like a lot of the masters of horror, Toby Toby Hooper was working well ahead of his time. And so when Life Force comes out in 1985 and sort of gets laughed out of theaters uh, 30 years later or 40 years later, people now can look at it and be like, oh, I get what he was doing. This is all on purpose. This was by design Um, because that was a movie ahead of its time. You know, I I think. Go ahead. I was going to say, I really feel like that's just criticism in general. I think. You know, of course, we have to have, like, mm. reviews and stuff that come out to support movies these days. But honestly, when a movie gets, like, completely reviled or, like, just destroyed, like, through reviews and stuff like this, yeah. like, I take it with a grain of salt mm. because I'm like, what's everybody going to be saying about this movie in 10 years? Yeah, exactly. You know? And so I never feel bad when I love something that people are like, that's a piece of shit. Because I don't. Because I'm like, well, maybe it is. Maybe it isn't. Right. But time will tell. Right. And well, look at look a- at Scream 4. You know, when that yeah. came out, you were like, hey, Scream 4 is great and nobody would listen. And now here we are and everybody fucking loves Scream 4. Yeah, go figure. Like, I literally <laughs> got emails telling me I had no idea what I was talking about <laughs> and that I was the worst. I mean, I, I, I still have them. Like, people tell me I was the worst critic because I had no sense of critical analysis. And I was just oh like, my okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. Right, and that's right. fine. Maybe I don't. But, like, I can only respond to things the way... Right. I can do it through my own viewpoint. And to me, Scream 4 worked. Yeah. Um, you know, and I there was um there was something recently I just made a joke like about like in 10 years, I can't wait to see everybody turning the tide. I don't, I don't even know if I can find it <laughs> um fast enough. Let me see if I can see it real uh I'm looking really quick on Twitter, but I made a joke tweet. Oh, yeah. I don't remember where I made that joke. Anyway. Okay. So now I've just, now now we've got dead air. Um, But anyway, like, that's the thing. Like, when people come out en masse to, like, rip a movie apart. Yeah. Sure. Have your fun. Do your social media (laughs) thing. I'm not really going to take it seriously because, like, I don't know. In in 10 years time, it's going to be hailed as a masterpiece and people are going to finally understand and right. i really think that's it's you just i i think like this this is a cliche but like like wine like you have to let art breathe mm-hmm. because i think in the moment i don't think you really see it like you know you love something but i think like you almost have to step back to be able to really appreciate the the wholeness of it Sure. And maybe maybe that's the idealist in me when it comes to, you know, looking at art and understanding like its purpose in our society. And again, but like, you know, that's how I am. You know, I, I there's been plenty of movies that I've been wrong about over the years. Um, you know, and wrong, it's, wrong in what way? I mean, how can you be wrong about a movie? Well, like. For example, I, I mean, to be really honest, like the first time I saw Rob Zombie's Halloween and Halloween 2, holy shit, like I was ready to burn down theaters. Like <laughs> I was, I was in, like, just inflamed about it. Like it was funny because even like I was talking to a friend who didn't like Barbie. Um, and she felt weird coming to me saying that she didn't like Barbie. And I was like, no, like we talk, we, it, you don't have to agree on everything. And I really appreciated her the way that she sort of approached it because it was very different. It gave me a different viewpoint to consider. But she was just like, well, she said something like, well, I know you hate the Rob Zombie Halloween movies. And I was like, I actually don't. Yeah. And she's like, wait, what? And I was <laughs> like, it took, but it took me some time to distance myself a little bit and then go back and look at them differently. Not from the viewpoint of my fan expectations, sure. but more so as what was Rob really trying to do with these movies? Yeah. And especially Halloween 2, the director's cut, like to me is... Probably one of the best horror movies of the late 2000s. Agreed. You know, and if you want to argue with me, that's fine. 
but I, I, I genuinely believe that now. And I think he took some really big risks with that. And so like, it's a bummer when art doesn't get appreciated in the moment, especially because it's, it can, it's financial support is always so critical. Right. But at the same time, I've been through this shit so long now where I'm like, don't worry. Everyone's going to catch up to this eventually. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And maybe, maybe the financial hit of it sucks. Not maybe it does because it's not, you know, show, you know, it's show business. There's a business Hmm. to it, but there is something to be said for cultural longevity Mm -hmm. and that kind of impact. Um, You know, and I think there is a whole generation of filmmakers that wouldn't be here today had it not been for Toby Hooper and the things that he was doing in the late sixties and early seventies. And these type of projects that we're talking about today that led to Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Right. Like, you know, you can't understate their importance. And it's cool to see that now. You know, like I just I for me, that's like a huge takeaway from this. Sure. Is like it's just really cool to kind of get that perspective now. Well, and as you 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 brought up Rob Zombie, I am an avowed fan of Rob Zombie's movies and he's another one that maybe, you know, should pay royalties to Toby Hooper. Like it's no surprise. Oh, he owes him a few checks. (laughs) It's no surprise that I really like Rob Zombie because he's very, very influenced by you watch house of a thousand corpses. You're like, well, this is Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two. Like you just kind of remade that movie. Um, And that's okay. You know, I'm not saying that Rob Zombie's a thief or anything. He just, Toby Hooper is a clear influence on him. So it's no surprise that I like both of them as a filmmaker. The thing for me is I wish I wish people were coming around a little quicker on Toby and I wish that he was around to see it happen. Yeah. Because I, I think mean that's when, the thing too. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I think there's a lot of a lot of movies in Wes's filmography, for example, that like people just generally overlooked and still overlooked for a long time. And then after he passed, like all of a sudden we were getting Blu-rays for Deadly Friend and things like that, mm-hmm. and Deadly Blessing, and like, oh, everyone's now onto these things, and you're like, oh, you know, maybe we should have been doing it in the time, which is like, you know, one of the people, like somebody said this on Twitter, like, don't wait until somebody's dead, right, to, to quote unquote give them their flowers, like, right, right, let people know now, you know, like don't be feel weird, like I will always like fawn you know send my fawnings towards Guillermo del Toro's door any day you know what I mean he's still here and he may not give a shit that's fine but at least he knows right you know right um and so it's it's a bummer that so many folks like don't get to appreciate like I was just recently watching um Wolfman Got Nards and okay the documentary, Which, you're not referring to Monster Squad as Wolfman's Gun Arts. No, no, no. I, yeah, I, was watching, I, was I can't about think the of the title. Porn. It's the one where Wolfman's Gun Arts. Yeah, no, I was talking about the, the Monster Squad porn. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what was interesting to me, because it was a very, like, it starts off being sort of very standard documentary about, like, this is how it got made, this is yeah. this, this is this. Yeah. But there's a point in the documentary um, where... I believe Cassandra Gower, I think, was the one who, who did it, um, where he puts the focus um, on Brent Challum, who died mm-hmm. in the late seven, in the late nineties, mm-hmm. and because the Monster Squad was a total dud at the theaters, it barely had a life on VHS, but it but it kept building, but just very quietly, not in the ways like stuff like Lost Boys did, because Lost Boys came around and became like this rock and roll cool thing that happened. Um, and he was like, there was like this moment where they talked about like this kid who felt kind of self-conscious about being involved with Monster Squad, being known as the fat kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and now there's like this reverence for the movie and, but also for his character in particular. And he never got to see it right? because he died when he was like 22 or something like that, which is just horrible. Yeah. Um, and so that's why like, don't like if there's ever one little piece of life advice I tell people like would tell people it's like, don't wait to tell people things just yeah. don't. Cause you're yeah. not guaranteed shit right. in this life. So right. like, you know, that's why like if, if I, if something hits me and I love it, like I'm going to talk about it, like in some sort of platform because like, I don't know. 
if I don't talk about it today, I could be dead tomorrow. Right. You know? Right. And so like it's it's a bummer that like we lost Toby now, what, six years ago? Uh that sounds right. And he's never he he doesn't know like right. what's happened in the wake of that. Yeah. And I think that the, like it was nice to see a lot of folks either coming around on certain things about Toby or appreciating new things about Toby in the wake of that. But like, why weren't we doing that when he was still here? So if nothing else from this series, I really hope somebody comes away with a new appreciation for something, whether it's about Toby himself or the movies that we're going to talk about. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because like, you know, we can geek out about all this stuff and we will, we're going to geek guys. (laughs) But like, if, if one perspective gets changed throughout the whole run of this, like, I feel like we've done our job, you know? And so that's why, like, when you were like, oh, we can kind of skip things here and there. I'm like, I don't really want to, unless we have to, because I think within the, the whole picture of who Toby was and the work that he did, like, I think it's important to look at those little moments as much as the big moments, if that makes sense. Sure. So, and I'm just, I'm just thorough. <laughs> I'm a completionist by heart. No, it's so. good. I appreciate it. And that is all uh, very well said. That's probably where we should wrap things up actually. Cause I feel like that puts us in a good place to kick off this series and uh, our discussion of Texas Chainsaw next month. Um, Thank you for, 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 for talking about these movies with me. Thank you for watching these movies and thanks for just being willing to do a whole series on Toby Hooper. Obviously I'm very excited. Uh, well, I don't know why it. you're saying, I don't know why you're saying willing because I'm literally <laughs> the one who was like, Patrick, we're doing, I this. know, I know. but <laughs> So it's, it's, I should say thank you for being, be, being willing to do this. <laughs> well, of course I'm always willing to talk about Toby Hooper and yeah. why he rules. Um, Thank you all for listening. We will be back next month with uh, a discussion of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, Thanks again, Heather. Thank you, Patrick.